Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. There is a strong link between spiritual excellence and a desire to please God. The word in scripture for excellence actually comes from the same root as the Greek word that means to please. The concept of spiritual excellence as pleasing God is especially important to the Apostle Paul. It was the goal and ambition of his life. Now being the third week of this series, you've probably noticed by now that a major theme of this letter to the Thessalonians is of imitation and of being an example. Paul continually chose to live and act in a certain way so that he could model the behavior that a follower of Jesus should follow. And so far in this letter, we've seen how the Thessalonians were an example to the other churches during this time and how they're an example to us today. We also saw how they themselves followed the example of the apostles and of Jesus. So this week we're going to see what the example was that Paul was leaving for the Thessalonians to follow. Everything we do as a church and everything we are as followers of Jesus should be done ultimately with the desire to please God in all that we do. That was the example of Paul and it was the example of Jesus. Jesus always did what was pleasing to God the Father. He didn't live selfishly to please himself. His life was entirely determined by following the will of God. And likewise, as we consider what it means to be Christians in uncertain times, our desire should be to please God in all that we do as well. So let's read our passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12. to and I'll apologize to Lori, I never told you ahead of time. I don't have slides, I just have this slide. <laughs> so there's no, you don't have to try and figure it out without my manuscript. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, sorry. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers, approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, and our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or from anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. And this is where that one little tidbit that's perfect for Mother's Day. <laughs> or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We love you so much that we shared with you not only the good news of God, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You, are, you yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless 
towards all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Now we're cheating and getting ahead for Father's Day. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you did not think our words were mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. All right, so I know that's a big chunk of scripture. Um, I just want to read those first three verses again, and we'll start there. Uh, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, our visit to you is not a failure. You saw how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition, so you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. So like we talked about the very first week of this series, when Paul first planted this church in, Thessal in Thessalonica, he had faced opposition uh, from the local Jewish population. Some of them came to faith, but most of that church were non-Jews. Uh, and so in the end, he actually had to leave before he wanted to because he was um, concerned that he might get in trouble or, or killed or thrown in jail. Now, the, the interesting part about this is that right before they came to Thessalonica, uh, just up the coast in Philippi, they'd been treated terrible there too. Uh, and if I remember right, just off the back of my head, he'd been put in jail and actually whipped. Uh, and he got upset because he was a Roman citizen and you weren't supposed to do that. Uh, so they had faced, just before they came to this city, um, terrible opposition. Uh, they'd been whipped, thrown in jail. Then they came to Thessalonica, and then there they faced opposition. And they were chased out of town. They faced huge opposition to their ministry and the spreading of the gospel during this period. But despite that, despite what they'd just gone through in Philippi, God gave them the courage to preach boldly anyways. They pushed forward despite the punishment that they were suffering for doing so. They weren't motivated like a lot of the, the uh, religious street preachers of that day were, uh, of, of trying to get rich or trying to gain a following or popularity. They weren't simply saying things to impress people or, or make people like them. They preached the truth, regardless of how it would be received. Now, when you're reading this, it kind of feels like Paul might be refuting an accusation against them. Uh, we don't know, uh, but it kind of reads like that. Uh, that someone was saying that they were just preaching to gain a following and to make money uh, and to cheat people out. So he is appealing to the Thessalonians and their own experience from when they were there. They know how badly that Paul had been treated for preaching the gospel in Philippi just before they came. And they know that they still came to Thessalonica and did so with boldness. They weren't afraid. They were not there to gain popularity. They were not there to make money. In fact, pretty much everywhere they went, everyone hated them. So clearly that was not their goal. And he continues that thought in these next few verses. He says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. 
As for human praise, we have never sought it, whether from you or anyone else. So this gospel they came to share, the good news of Jesus, it wasn't something they made up for their own profit or to tickle ears. They spoke as messengers of God, and their purpose was to please God, not people. They did not seek human praise or popularity. They did not seek money or wealth. He says that God alone examines or tests the motives of our hearts. Now, while Paul may have been, uh, Paul may have become someone who's revered to this day as an apostle, uh, he never was trying to seek that kind of honor for himself. He wasn't trying to become this revered apostle for thousands of years. Everything he did in his life was done with one single aim, to please God. That purpose and that mission that he devoted his life to is what makes him such a good example that is worthy of following. His example is a focusing solely on pleasing God and following his will. Not, not pleasing people or, or trying to get people to give him more money to support his ministry or trying to gain a following of his own or to be popular. Everything about him was focused on pleasing God. And then he kind of talks about his relationship with them, though, in this next couple of verses, and says, As an apostle of Christ, we certainly had the right to make demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We love you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives, too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. So what he's saying is that as an apostle, despite the fact they did not ask for support, they could have and they would have been with, well within their rights because they were apostles. But for the sake of this new church that was being born, they'd chosen to minister rather than be ministered to. Instead of asking them to support their ministry when they just started as a church, they worked day and night around their ministry to work in a living so that they would not be a burden to any of them. They did this because they cared about them. And he uses the analogy of a mother, which is great for today. They were invested in their future. They wanted to see them grow. They did not want to be a burden in any way. They just wanted to nurture and, and help them to grow as young, new believers. So they went all in. They shared their entire lives with them. They gave whatever they had to help this church. They didn't just give them the gospel, but they shared their entire lives while they were there. And we don't know what that looks like. We know Paul was a tent maker. Maybe he made tents uh, around his preaching to support himself, uh, like he did in some of the other cities. But what is clear is that he was extremely mindful of the new believers and not wanting to be a burden on them in any way. And that would have been very different from those other uh, religious street preachers of, the, of that day in the pagan world who would have sold their religion like a commodity in the marketplace to make a profit. And then in verses 10 to 13, he, he kind of goes back to where he started. He says, you yourselves are our witnesses to this. And so is God that we were devout, honest, and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own child. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, 
and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as merely human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which is, of course, what it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So this is his summary of all of that. You were witnesses to all the things I just said, that we were honest, we didn't uh, try and extort you for money, uh, we didn't try and trick you. They treated them as a parent would. Their goal through it all was simply to please God. They did not try to please people, but did what God was leading them to do. They walked alongside the Thessalonians and taught and encouraged them how to live with their own life. Now it sounds, again, like he's being misconstrued by the opposition in the city as a deceiver and an opportunist trying to take advantage of gullible people for his own personal gain. But he reminds them that in no way did he take advantage of them. He supported himself. He'd shared his life with them. He'd practiced integrity throughout his time with them, always being mindful of them as young, new believers, and always seeking to please God above all else. And thankfully, he says, they recognized this. Paul was so thankful for them and that they had received the gospel and that they had recognized what Paul was trying to do, that he wasn't trying to take advantage of them or trick them. They believed, they recognized that what Paul was sharing with them was something more than just a human story, it was something life-changing. They accepted that, and as a result, they were growing in their faith every single day. So that's our passage. Um, I know this sermon series is called Faith in Uncertain Times. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm trying to bring these all back to is what it means for what these passages mean for us uh, as the church in, in times that are uncertain. I believe that we do live in uncertain times, but in one way or another, I do think that's always been true. We've always lived in uncertain times. But as Christians, when we don't know what to expect in a world filled with chaos and uncertainty, I think it's really helpful for us to look back at these biblical examples as a model of what we should be doing and how we should be living. Because if ever there was a church that was filled with uncertainty, it was the early church. So what can we learn about faith in times of uncertainty from this passage? I think that the big, big takeaway from these words of Paul this morning is that it is the importance of our focus always being on pleasing God. Our desire should be to please God in all that we do. And I think there's three big ways from this passage, from Paul's example, that highlight that, that, that are lessons that we can apply to us today. The first one is that we please God when our priority is to please Him. And what I mean by that is that our priority is to please Him over people. I think we, it can be easy to get really concerned with what other people will think or what will make other people happy or unhappy. And I think it's really important to work together to find a way to meet everyone where they are. But the takeaway here from this passage is that there's, there's still a line, and that is pleasing God. If, if we're doing something that does not please God to please people, if we change our message, if we change the gospel, then that's not good. The truth of the matter is not everyone in the world 
is going to come to Jesus. We know that God wants them to. We want them to. I would love to see everyone on this planet saved. I would love to see every single person accept Jesus. And we know that God wants that too. He doesn't want anyone to, be, uh, to perish. But the honest truth is that many people, in fact, probably most people, will choose not to follow Jesus. Let me read one more time these words of Paul in chapter 2, verse 4. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. And so what he's saying here is that God uh, did not want Paul to change his message to make it more appealing to the people in Thessalonica. He preached the truth, period. And we have to do the same and recognize that not everyone's going to like it. There was certainly a lot of people that did not like Paul for it. People will hate us for it. But that's part of living at our faith, especially in uncertain times. Our priority should always be to please God first. And the question we should ask ourselves is this. Am I making decisions with the intention to please God? Or am I making decisions to please people? Now with that said, moving into the second point, sometimes it can be easy to use that as a cop-out for working with people. So the second point is that we please God when we are mindful of others. We please God when we are mindful of others. The language that Paul uses in this passage is of a mother and a father looking after their children. In other words, a family. A loving and caring home. No, we can't compromise on truth, and we cannot turn from truth to please people, but we are also required to be mindful of others and treat each other gently. We are to be a people fully engaged in gentle, loving, caring, instructive, and protective relationships with each other. And that's what Paul did when he was with the Thessalonians. He was gentle and loving, sharing everything with them. He didn't want to be a burden on them in any way. He just wanted to help them and to see them grow in their faith. So think back on your life and your experience through the years as a Christian. Think about the people who have been the most influential or who have impacted your journey in your faith the most over your life. The ones who really shaped you and molded you into who you are today as a believer. And I think you'll probably find that the, those who are the most willing to have a gentle, loving, but also instructive and guiding relationship with you were the ones who came to mind. The ones who were not just out to point out all your flaws, but who were actually mindful of you and wanted to see you grow and learn because they truly cared about you. So a good question to ask ourselves today to consider how we're doing this is this. How am I being mindful and engaged in nurturing others as they grow in their faith? Who will one day look back and remember me for the contribution I made in their life? And the third way that I think we can take that lesson of pleasing God from this passage is that we please God when we practice integrity. Motives are almost always more important than the message. Paul acknowledges in our passage today and these accusations against him that it is definitely possible to be deceitful and to have impure motives and be manipulative in our actions. That's what he was being accused of. 
but he made it clear that he had lived among them with integrity. He didn't try to flatter them to gain followers or to teach things just to, to tickle their ears. He, he didn't try to pretend to be their friend just to get something from them, whether it was money or, or anything else. The last thing on his mind was to become popular or to gain a following. He wasn't trying to become some famous teacher. Paul made it his practice and his mission to live a life of authenticity and integrity, both in the world and among his Christian friends. We need to do the same. We need to be very careful about maintaining integrity, both in our lives and in our corporate life as a church. Everything should be done for the right reasons. And if we say something, we should live up to it. It's far better to admit that you are an imperfect sinner and to make mistakes but strive to live for Jesus than to pretend that you are uh, a holy, good Christian and then publicly stumble. I think the perfect example of this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Uh, in, in these early days of the church, believers were selling their land and possessions and giving it to the apostles to distribute to those in need. And many people were selling everything they had. No one was requiring them to, they chose to. So Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property that they owned. And they came to the church and presented it as all the sale money from this property. They said, we are giving you all the money but they kept some back for themselves. To look good, they said that they'd give it at all, but they kept some for themselves. So Peter called them out and said, the property belonged to you. No one asked you to sell it. No one was forcing you to sell it. And even when you did, no one asked you to give all the money to the church. No one forced you to do that. You could have given some of it. That would have been fine. Why did you lie and say that you gave all of it? just to look good. And then God struck him dead. And then later when his wife came in, struck her dead. Now listen, their sin was not that they were not perfect. Their sin wasn't that they hadn't given all the money to the church. Their sin was that they lied and tried to make themselves look good. If they had never sold anything, if they had never given anything to the church, that would have been okay. We can try to pretend we're holy or better than others in the world around us, but what really matters is our hearts, our integrity. So a good question to ask is this, is what I am thinking or what I am about to say or what I am about to do coming from a pure heart or a place of integrity? Because we please God when we act with integrity. So to conclude this morning, as we consider what it means to be the church in uncertain times, our desire should be to please God in all that we do. It should be our guiding motivation and the question we ask of everything we do. Are we trying to please God? It's not about appeasing him. He is appeased. Jesus has taken care of that. But it is about God's children wanting to do things that please their Heavenly Father just like a child and a parent here on earth. From the example of Paul, we've learned that we please God when we seek to please him, not people. We please God when we are mindful of others in our words and actions, not wanting to be a burden to anyone, but walk alongside everyone. And we please God when we practice integrity in everything that we do. 
So as we leave here today, and as we continue to study the example of faith that the Thessalonians and the apostles have left us, I pray that our hearts as believers and our heart as a church will be filled continually with a desire to please God in all that we do. Father God, I thank you so much, primarily for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that makes it possible for us to even come here and talk about how we can please you. I thank you for the examples of faith in the Thessalonians and in Paul. And I thank you for the examples of faith in parents as well, especially today in mothers. I just ask that as we leave here, you would help us to be focused on pleasing you, that you would help us to be focused on living with integrity, and that you would help us to be focused on being mindful of others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.